Welcome to the latest episode of British History, Royals, Rebels, and Romantics, the podcast for people who understand that history shows us what's possible for us in our lives today. I'm Carol Ann Lloyd, your host and tour guide as we travel back in time. We're shaking up history to look at the stories that don't always make the history books, to consider famous and infamous characters in new and interesting ways, and to look for all the things that we share even when we're living in different times and places. I hope you enjoy this journey through the royals, rebels, and romantics of Britain. Now, let's explore history together. As you can imagine, it wasn't all fun and games for Tudor family dinners with three mothers, all kinds of stepmothers, and three very determined children. Henry VIII's family offered adventure at every turn. We often move quickly over Edward and Mary to get to the more famous Elizabeth, but it's important to consider all the children and to think about them as a group as well as individuals. So let's take a look into the ups and downs of royal family life as we explore the sibling squabbles of the Tudor nursery. Here are some questions. How long were all of Henry's children considered heirs? Henry VIII was the only king of England to have all three of his children inherit the throne. Typically, the throne would pass from father to son. During the Wars of the Roses, the throne was often seized by an opponent. But it was unusual for siblings to inherit the throne. This did happen in the Stuart dynasty when James II inherited the throne from his brother Charles II but it had never passed to a third sibling before. Typically, all a king's children would be in the succession until the king died. Not so if the king is Henry VIII. Desperate for a son, Henry actually disinherited both of his daughters. He disinherited Mary when Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was born. The first succession act was passed in 1534. Because he claimed the marriage to Catherine of Aragon was not valid. He disinherited Elizabeth when he killed her mother. The Second Succession Act was passed in 1536, because he claimed the marriage to Anne Boleyn was not valid. For several years after he was born, Edward was the only heir. Finally, in 1543, Henry enacted the Third Succession Act, which returned Mary and Elizabeth to the succession. This act stipulated that the throne would go to Edward and all of his heirs. If he died without heirs, the throne would pass to Mary If she died without heirs, the throne would pass to Elizabeth. So from 1543 until Henry's death in 1547, all three children were considered to be heirs to the throne. Another question. In what order did Henry's children inherit the throne and why? And would that be different today? Since the Norman Conquest in the 11th century, it was assumed the king would pass the throne to his firstborn son. This line of succession is passed is based on primogenitor, which applied to non-royal inheritance as well. Of course, there were always problems and exceptions. The Tudor dynasty itself was established by right of conquest, not inheritance, when Henry VII took the throne from Richard III. However, the children of Henry VIII inherited the throne in the expected order, son first, then daughters in order of age. 
Edward inherited the throne in 1547 at the death of his father. Although he was only nine years old and not legally able to reign on his own, he succeeded rather than his adult and very capable sister because he was the boy. Edward reigned for six years. He did not have any children. He attempted to thwart his father's succession plan by setting aside his two half-sisters and installing Lady Jane Grey as Queen of England. Mary's quick actions and popularity allowed her to take the throne from Jane Grey without bloodshed. Mary was crowned first regnant Queen of England in 1553. She quickly married Philip of Spain and hoped to produce a male Catholic heir to get the country back on track. Unfortunately for Mary, she did not have children. Therefore, she was forced to leave the throne to her younger half-sister, Elizabeth. Yes, the order would be different today. In 2013, the Succession to the Crown Act modified the succession laws so that the crown passes to the firstborn heir, regardless of gender, and then goes along based on age. This means that Princess Charlotte's place is right after Prince George's. And Prince Louis did not leapfrog her as younger brothers had done in earlier generations. Okay, how about stepmothers? How many stepmothers did each of Henry's children have? Who were the favorites and who were the least favorites? As the eldest child, Mary had the most stepmothers, five. Elizabeth had four and Edward had three. The overall favorite stepmother was probably Catherine Parr. She represented a sense of calm and family life for all the children. It was during Henry's marriage to Catherine Parr that the Third Succession Act was brought Mary and Elizabeth back into the line. They were not made legitimate, but they were made part of the family again. Mary and Elizabeth, particularly Elizabeth, remained close to Catherine Parr after Henry VIII's death. Mary and Elizabeth were also close to Anne of Cleves. Anne successfully created a positive role as ex-wife of Henry VIII and stayed on good terms with the king after their short marriage ended. Anne was a frequent visitor to court and spent time with the king's daughters. Anne of Cleves lived long after Henry's death and participated in the procession and coronation of Mary I. Elizabeth also seems to have had a positive relationship with Catherine Howard. This was probably a reflection of their being related Catherine was first cousin to Anne Boleyn, Elizabeth's mother, and they're being comfortable with each other. There isn't much indication that either Elizabeth or Edward had a least favorite stepmother. Mary did, however. She did not approve of her father's leaving Anne of Cleves, a sensible and serious woman, for the teenage Catherine Howard. We don't know exactly how old Catherine Howard was when she married the king, but it's likely she was about 17 or 18, and Mary was four or five years older. Their relationship is described as problematic at the beginning of the marriage, but it seems to have settled down a bit as time went on. There's one clear, wicked stepmother episode with the siblings. Henry's decision to end his marriage to Catherine of Aragon was shattering for Princess Mary. Catherine and Mary both blamed Anne Boleyn instead of Henry for everything that went wrong in their lives. After her mother was sent away, Mary resisted Anne's attempts to create a relationship. Ultimately, the two women recognized there was place for only one of them at court and in Henry's life. Mary refused to recognize Anne as queen, and Anne is said to have reflected, she is my death and I am hers. That sounds like it comes right out of a dark fairy tale. Question about Edward. How did Edward and his half-sisters get along during his reign? 
Edward and Mary had shared some time together during their father's reign. Mary was affectionate with her younger brother and often displayed maternal instincts with him when he was a baby and young toddler. Edward was very fond of Mary. He once said in a letter that despite the fact he wrote her infrequently, I love you most. Edward and Elizabeth had also been close during their father's reign. They were near in age and shared the same faith. They were educated together and shared a curriculum and interest in humanism, rhetoric, classical authors, and especially scripture. They also shared an interest in magic and astrology. And a strong bond was their commitment to Reformed faith. The death of Henry VIII changed everything for the Tudor half-siblings. Even as a nine-year-old, King Edward was zealous in his faith and determined to bring the country into more radical religious reform. He demanded that his country conform to his faith and set out a series of radical religious laws to establish a strong Protestant country. Within two years of coming to the throne, the first Book of Common Prayer was published. It aimed to establish uniform religious worship. An even more extreme version followed three years later. Edward also banned all Catholic rituals. This caused terrible friction with Mary. The Holy Roman Emperor, Long Mary's champion, petitioned Edward directly for Mary to be able to continue to have Mass. Edward said no. He was determined that Mary change her beliefs. This was even more than Henry VIII had demanded, and Mary absolutely refused. John Dudley, who followed Edward Seymour as the king's primary advisor, pushed and threatened Mary regularly, insisting she give up her beliefs. The emperor even considered secretly getting Mary out of England to keep her safe. But Mary knew that leaving the country would mean she could never become queen. So she remained in England, resisting the king's efforts to force her to change her beliefs. Edward's relationship with Elizabeth seems to have deteriorated as well. Although they shared the same faith and had previously been on good terms, Edward seemed willing to accept the suspicions of Edward Seymour that Elizabeth had plotted against him. Thomas Seymour had married Catherine Parr and moved into her household where Elizabeth was living. His behavior toward the young princess is cause for debate even now, but seems at best inappropriate and at worst sexual abuse. He would come into her bedchamber before she was up and engage in horseplay and tickling, and he once cut her dress to ribbons while Catherine Parr helped hold her down. After Catherine Parr's death, Thomas Seymour's behavior became even more reckless. He made a play for greater power with the king and eventually got arrested and thrown in the tower. At this point, Elizabeth came under investigation. She was accused of planning to marry Thomas Seymour without the council's approval and to help him gain power. We don't know if Edward believed his half-sister to be guilty, but he did nothing to shield her from intense interrogation and threats. No evidence was ever found against Elizabeth, but a reputation continued to be questioned throughout Edward's reign and then Mary's reign. Whatever his personal feelings for his half-sisters may have been during childhood, Edward was willing to completely cut off their chances of inheriting the throne. He made the politics of religious reform his primary goal and created a device for the succession that pushed both sisters aside in favor of his very reform-minded cousin, Lady Jane Grey. He emphasized that Mary and Elizabeth were illegitimate and not worthy of the crown. Although he failed in his goal and Mary was crowned after Edward, his willingness to dismiss them seems to indicate their relationship were broken down by the time Edward died. 
So what about Mary and Elizabeth? Was their relationship as bad as it's usually portrayed? Given everything that happened, it's probably inevitable that Mary would hate Elizabeth more and more as Elizabeth grew up. After all, everything that went wrong in Mary's life started with Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn. Because of Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII not only turned away from Mary's beloved mother, Catherine of Aragon, he turned away from Mary's beloved religion. Mary lost her status as princess because of Anne Boleyn. She was separated from her mother because of Anne Boleyn. Her mother was stripped of the title of queen and forced to die in sorrow because of Anne Boleyn. And Elizabeth's existence made things worse. After all, Anne's pregnancy with Elizabeth was the reason Henry pushed for the annulment and went ahead and crowned Anne, Queen of England. When Elizabeth was born, Mary was officially removed from the succession and forced to be part of her sister's household. Her baby sister had precedence over her. Anne Boleyn and Mary were fierce competitors for Henry's affection. The king had a difficult time abandoning his daughter. Anne saw any kindness shown to Mary as a slight to her and Elizabeth, and she insisted Henry completely turn away from his older daughter. For her part, Mary refused to acknowledge Anne as queen and spurned Anne's attempts to try and heal the relationship. Legend has it that in her final days before death, Anne asked one of her attendants to beg Mary for forgiveness. That request may or may not have been made, but Mary was not about to forgive Anne for anything. (laughs) Naturally, this complicated the relationship with Elizabeth. In the months after Anne's death, Mary seemed to soften toward her sister. She wrote her father that, quote, such a child toward, as I doubt not, but your highness shall have cause to rejoice in time coming, as knoweth Almighty God. At that point, Mary was able to establish a relationship of sorts with Elizabeth. But as Elizabeth grew, Mary saw, or thought she saw, elements of Anne Boleyn. It surely didn't help that when Edward attempted to put Lady Jane Grey on the throne instead of Mary, Elizabeth quite deliberately stayed on the sidelines until it was obvious Mary was going to prevail. Only then did she come out in support of her half-sister and join her. Elizabeth was strategic in a way that might have reminded Mary of Anne Boleyn. Elizabeth did participate in Mary's triumphant ride into London and in Mary's coronation. She was next in line to the throne, but Mary wanted to replace Elizabeth as heir. She quickly married Philip of Spain and planned to have a son who would combine England and Spain into a great Catholic kingdom. Elizabeth's resistance to Mary's religious goals, as well as her popularity among those who didn't favor the Spanish alliance, increased Mary's distrust. The Wyatt Rebellion was a tipping point for Mary. Thomas Wyatt the Elder had written love poems to and about Anne Boleyn, and now his son was caught in a rebellion against Mary that was designed to put Anne Boleyn's daughter on the throne. It was just too much. Mary agreed to have Elizabeth sent to the Tower of London. Imagine Elizabeth's terror, knowing she was going to the very place her mother had been killed. Elizabeth knew that Lady Jane Grey had recently been executed, and she feared she would never leave the Tower alive. In fact, she was released from the Tower on May 19th, the anniversary of her mother's execution. For the rest of Mary's reign, Elizabeth believed she was in danger. Many think that Mary's husband, Philip, 
act as a sort of shield for Elizabeth, preventing Mary from sending her back to the tower or actually executing her. At least that's what Philip claimed after Mary's death. Mary certainly wanted Elizabeth to feel Mary's superiority and right to the throne, a reverse to those early days when Mary was made to wait upon her baby sister. Although Elizabeth was considered Mary's heir, many Catholics didn't accept Elizabeth's claim to the throne. After all, they didn't accept Henry's marriage to Anne Boleyn, so any child was illegitimate. Mary seemed to publicly favor Margaret Douglas, descendant of Henry VIII's sister Margaret, as well as Catherine and Mary Gray, Jane Gray's younger sister. In her final days, Mary realized she was dying and could not achieve her ultimate goal of having a son to succeed her. She agreed that the throne should pass to the person decreed by the laws of the realm, meaning Elizabeth. She could not bring herself to say her half-sister's name. She called upon her sister to uphold the true faith, but she must have known Elizabeth was unlikely to do so. Elizabeth was at Hatfield House in November 1558 when word reached her that her sister had died and she was now Queen of England. The final Tudor sibling had inherited the throne. She would fight to hold it and rule for nearly 50 years. Thank you for joining me to check out the sibling squabbles in the Tudor nursery. Next month, we're getting ready to see how the royals turn clothing, accessories, and jewels into not just a fashion statement, but also a power statement. See you then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share with a friend. Do send any questions or comments. I'd love to hear from you where we should explore next. And please subscribe and leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could explore history together. Till next time. Thank you.